Okay, hello CAA. Welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm Susan Altman. I am a professor in the Visual Performing and Media Arts Department at Middlesex County College, which is in New Jersey. I teach mostly foundations. I teach drawing. Um, I'm also a member of the CAA Education Committee, and I am the director of the Center for Enrichment of Learning and Teaching at Middlesex, so I wear many hats and certainly have had a very busy schedule since the, since the shift to remote learning in March. I am happy to welcome to CAA Conversations, Naomi Falk, who is an assistant professor of studio art in 3D studies at the University of South Carolina. So welcome, Naomi. Her work as an artist considers relationships with manufactured and natural landscapes and explores the current climate socially, environmentally, and politically. She's also the found, one of the founding members of a new website, a platform for art educators called What Do We Do Now, which we will talk about later in the conversation. One of the things that we're gonna talk about in this conversation is really the shift to remote learning and how we were all able to manage that as studio art professors. One of the things that I was most impressed about Naomi was that she teaches sculpture and 3D studies. And in the beginning of the pandemic, way back in March, when we were all looking at each other saying, what do we do now? Which I guess is where her title comes from, her website. Um, she was very active on social media and in the many art groups that sprung up on Facebook. One of the things that I realized about Naomi was her willingness to share ideas, to share pedagogy, to share projects. She started a Google Doc for 3D sculpture and 3D studies, which was really helpful, I think, to many faculty who are really lost at how they're going to teach. So welcome, Naomi, to CAA Conversations. Thanks. Hello. So I guess that my main question or how I'm going to start this conversation is really like when you suddenly had to shift, what did you do? You teach the sculpture. How did you shift what you were doing in the classroom to remote learning? One of the things that I did was to um, give my students quite a few options. So, you know, because everyone we, we shut down during spring break here, like many of us did. And so nobody was prepared for, for that. So students didn't have any materials or supplies or anything. And um, so, so I ended up kind of recalibrating stuff and, and giving them a couple of different options for the next for the last couple of projects so that, so that they could use found materials and um, think about sculpture and 3D stuff um, in an expanded field sort of way, um, mm -hmm. which, which, you know, I kind of grew up with, with the idea of that anyway. So thinking about things um, like how, how walking and, um, you know, going out in the world or looking at things around in, in your house, um, could, could, how can those things be considered sculpture or sculptural or, you know, how, how does performance fit into that? I also gave them a social practice assignment before we shut down, um, called, called the kindness project, 
and I asked them to do something nice for someone older than them, um, someone that they didn't know, uh, do something nice or kind for themselves um, over like a five day period. And so I, I think everyone really appreciated those things too. And then, you know, thinking about, well, like how, how, is, how does that fit into sculpture? And well, that's an interest. No, I was going to say that's an interesting project because we, you gave it right before spring break, without the knowledge. Um, when we think back on it, we had no idea when we went on spring break what was going to happen. In fact, on my campus, we had an event for high school students during spring break, and then basically the next day we shut down. So, how did students respond to it? Do you think that that project shifted or changed? because of the pandemic because suddenly they realized that now they're not coming back to campus you know it it was really an interesting time capsule for me to look at by the time that they turned it in and everything um, a lot of them had gone on vacations to to different places or you know like there were students that went to the beach and things and because down here in south carolina we hadn't um, really understood yet the 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 hugeness of <laughs> <laughs> of true. the situation, right? And um, so, you know, looking at their responses and the things that some of them did, and the people they visited, and and the places they went, I I at that point when I was you know looking at them as a total when they turned their stuff in. Uh, I kind of cringed sometimes because I was like, oh, no, you didn't, you didn't go there or, or whatever. Um, but still, like, I think they all did appreciate it because one of the things I keep thinking about um, is, is how to be empathetic and be supportive uh, in, in the, this whole situation, like, more and more always, but but certainly now because um, everybody has different circumstances and different, you know, emotional and physical needs and, and responses to what's going on. Um, and, you know, family obligations and work obligations and, and all sorts of things. So, so I was really, my goal was to be as flexible um, with the students as I could and with myself and still hopefully get something you know worthwhile out of out of the semester mm -hmm. um, do you think they understood the the relationship in terms of social practice to what they were going through when you gave the assignment was before you know there were inklings of a pandemic i remember when we came back from college art in february you know i was wondering should i wipe down my plane seat before i sat on it so there were inklings, but do you think they really understood the idea of social practice? And, yeah. and, and did it, you said it, some of it was cringeworthy because obviously they had done it before they, they realized what was going on. But do you think that that's something that would be going forward? They should be doing, you know, every semester in, found a, in, a, in a 3D class? The, the thing about it was that people were getting stressed out already. You know, we were at midterms and 
the the pandemic was was potentially coming and everyone was really stressed out and so i felt like i i don't really like giving them you know homework on breaks but i felt like the, that was something that was doable and would help them you know mm-hmm. like thinking about things that you're you're grateful for you know paying attention to the positive stuff can really help your mental state and so we talked about that and and talked about how everyone's stressed out and and like what are the ways that we can help that situation for ourselves and for others and so that's where that came from and i i stole that project from like a elementary school in norway or something but lots of people you know have done similar similar things yeah i don't think it's really stealing projects one of the things that i noticed through this pandemic is and especially on those Facebook groups, was the willingness of faculty to share projects, to, to share of their, their, people shared PowerPoints, people shared projects, people were so willing to give of each other that we all learn from one another. And I think especially with regards to 3D and sculpture, it was a hard sell. My ceramics professor had a really hard time recontextualizing what she should be doing and what were her learning objectives. And, you know, for someone who, who deals with tools and materials, you know, I'm really curious about how you shifted your projects to sort of still have them feel, especially in foundations, how important it is for them to be able to move into upper level coursework and gain those skills, but at the same time, you know, teach sculpture. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I, I did was let them choose a couple of different things. They could, and the one that some of them chose was making do with what we got is what I've, what we've got is what I've titled it. And that was using found objects. And so, so then they ended up, um, listening to an episode of Radiolab, the, the Things episode. And I also showed them people like Doris Salcedo and Janet Eckelman. And I had them look at the Manufactured exhibition and some other people, um, Sonia Clark. And um, there are a whole series of object lesson essays that I often have students read. And then I gave them a variety of other people who use found objects. And then I suggested they could do all sorts of things with the materials. They could compose with them or weave, um, stack, bind, cut, draw, move, um, organize them. We talked a little bit about knolling. Um, I also gave them Richard Serra's verb list and um, you know, what sort of actions could you do? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so, so that was one of the one of the projects. I also offered that they could do a public service announcement puppet show, you know, thinking a little bit about social justice and social practice. Mm-hmm. Um, Were they six, did anyone, did anyone take you up on that offer? No, 
<laughs> I was very dis I was very sad because I love that project. And do you do you think that they were just overwhelmed or yeah. they went home or they didn't have access to materials? I think that that divide was very evident. You know, whether it was the digital divide because you didn't have internet at home or you just didn't have access to materials. I don't know how much your your school supplies for your students. Well, we provide quite a bit here um, normally, but then because they went home and didn't take anything with them, they didn't have any materials. But with the, the puppet show, I think in general, they may have been overwhelmed by what felt like it was a lot of work. Although um, one, of the, one of the things that I really struggled with with the last half of the classes being online is that communication with students really dropped off. So if we had talked about it more, um, you know, I, I told them they could even turn their hand into, you know, a puppet, put a couple eyes on their hand and, you know, burp, 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 uh, it would, it would be a puppet. Like you can turn anything into a puppet. So, so the fact that they didn't have any materials, I had a, a good comeback for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, I think ultimately everyone got really overwhelmed. A lot of them, if they, if they had, were able to keep their jobs, they were working a lot. And then others completely lost their jobs eventually. And I think it was a struggle to, you know, feel like everything was okay. Um, or, you know, they had to take care of siblings or, you know, other people and their families. And so, you know, not just my class, but however many classes they were taking, their time was really fractured and, and finding um, even some quiet time to, to be able to do stuff or a space even. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm really going to talk to them about quite a bit at the beginning of the semester this fall is finding a, finding a place wherever you can and however small it is, but finding a spot to set up a little, a little space as a little studio spot. Mm -hmm. Last Friday, I just decided to, to go online because it felt like the safer solution. So how are you changing your teaching for the fall now that you've committed to being online because that's always the challenge yeah okay you know we and artists I think in general we have a, a real tradition when we teach studio courses right we're comfortable with it yes we talk a lot and I know you're involved in fate foundations for art theory and education and we talk a lot about changing pedagogy but we still stick to that traditional model you're in a studio, you learn from your professor, but you also learn from each other. You know, we walk around the room, we talk to them, we have critique, we put the stuff up. And it's very hard to replicate that in an online environment, but we can even reinvent it. So I guess the question is, now that you've sort of experienced the emergency remote, which, and I'm very clear about that, because that was just, you know, we have to shift now. And what are you thinking about for the fall now that it's more, you know, official remote? Well, I think um, one thing about the spring is that uh, it, 
much of what I tried didn't work as far as getting the students to stay engaged with each other and with, with me. Um, I would set up regular Zoom sessions, but because people's schedules had completely got blown up, um, a lot, most students didn't show up to them. So I was often sitting in a Zoom meeting by myself or, you know, a couple students would pop in for a little bit. And the ones that I talked with, we had great conversations and it was really helpful for, for all of us. Um, so in the, in the fall, I think I'm, I'm still kind of up in the air about, about how to organize things, but I think I'm going to have like regular um, class meetings on online, like Zoom. And then I haven't decided whether I'm going to just like run it for the full class period, but use that as like work time for students, mm -hmm. kind of like we're actually in a class time. And maybe I'll try a couple different things and see what works best. Um, because, because if it's just running, but there's not like the, the need for, you know, two hours and 45 minutes to be staring at the screen and like, pretend or like try off and on to be engaged. Um, if it's just there in the background, but you're working and I feel like that would certainly make me as the professor, but also if I were the student feel like accountable and also it's like a sort of a collaborative space in a way, right? Like we could all, we could sit here and like make the thing we're making and then be like, how, what do you think right now, you know, mm -hmm. and, and get some feedback immediately right then. Um, Which but, I think is, I, one of my colleagues tried that this summer. Mm -hmm. So he actually, he was teaching drawing and he had them draw while they were on Zoom. So he started, he, he did a PowerPoint, he introduced the project, they drew and then they came back and just the way you said, they held up their work and said, what do you think? Um, he found it very successful. One of the things that I'm finding, I mean, my college is requiring them, we're doing what we call remote live. So they are required to be there during that time period, which I think will be very helpful in terms of engagement because they know that they can't schedule work then. It's different than the online class where you can do it at your own pace. So we're making a very clear distinction about that. But what I'm really interested in is, yes, because I think that is probably the biggest challenge, keeping them engaged and keeping them on, is what are you doing with your projects? Because that's really, that's the bigger challenge. You know, like, okay, now I'm home. I taught from my kitchen in this. I don't have a home studio. I work at school. And, and you know, I have another studio space that I work at, which I did not leave my home to go to. So I was at a distinct disadvantage. So I worked in my kitchen. And, you know, with many students, you made a good point that they can't carve out a small little studio space. They live with other people, they may have roommates, they may have family members. What I'm really curious about is how are you shifting your projects to so, make this all work? Because that's, I think, the key to all this. And yeah. I think that's also the key to your, to, your, to your website, which is, you know, what do we do now? It's not just how to engage students, but okay, what kind of projects work yeah. in this virtual space, but still are able to bring to our students, you know, what we need them to learn. Well, there's, yeah, there's a couple of different things. And I'm actually really looking forward to um, 
how these, how these go. But the main thing is scale. Like I often push students to make bigger, bigger, bigger things mm -hmm. because they don't, they don't really understand that it's not necessarily tremendous amount. Of, like it scares them to go really big. So I'm thinking about scale and thinking about going the opposite direction. So a bunch of my projects are about making tiny things. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, like one of the things is based off of uh, some work by Lydia Ricci. And I'm, so I think we're going to do a tiny everyday objects project where they re where they make replicas of very everyday objects out of materials that they can find, but just very, very small. Or there's, you know, like tiny lives adventures where they might make, um, you know, small installations somewhere inside their, where they live or outside. And, you know, the way that they photograph things or make a video or something, since we won't necessarily be able to see it live, um, will, you know, provide an experience, a 3D sort of experience for people. Um, That's a great project. Yeah, yeah. To get um, them to think differently too. Well, not all sculpture mm -hmm. has to be on a tabletop. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I think I'm gonna do <clears throat> some version of, of a project from a long time ago called Handheld Landscapes. Again, like what what does the the palm of your hand, for instance, how can that how do you consider that a landscape and and what would go there? Uh, and I, I may actually do something with 3D modeling, like using Tinkercad or Mesh Mixer. Those yeah. are both free um, open source softwares. And and if I don't if I'm not able to access the 3D printers here on campus, um, one of one of my friends, Michael Lorson, um, who's a, also a sculpture professor, um, teaches his students how to outsource things. And so I think that's also a really great idea, especially when we don't necessarily have access to the studio. Like, okay, I have an idea. How do I make it? And where? Since I don't have the materials or the equipment, like, how do I get that done? So learning how to outsource the 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 3D printing, um, if needed. Um, I'm also want to. I'm really interested in learning more about augmented and virtual reality things, and so I think I'm going to start with um, an augmented reality project using um, weird cuts. And that comes from a project that Meredith Starr posted on our website. So that, that's fun. I've tried it out and it's really easy. And you know, students have to have a smartphone for that. So hopefully they'll be able to uh, do that. Um, but that's actually a good lead into your yeah. to your um, website, which I know has gotten a lot of buzz and a lot of interest. And, and it's really, again, I am impressed with the generosity of everyone willing to share. So why don't you tell a little bit about that project, which came out of the pandemic? Yeah. So just like you said earlier, uh, a whole bunch of us were, were sitting around going, ah, what, what, what do we do now? Like, 
what is this supposed to look like? How in the world do we teach studio classes fully online and have it be a good, rich, you know, experience? Um, and so Stacy Eisenberger and I were, were talking one day and, you know, thinking about like, well, what do we want to do? And we decided that a website was the way to go because it was much more dynamic and could be updated and could change as we go along. So this, this thing, I, I feel like could go on for a really long time and keep up with the times such as they are. Um, and, and the other thing too, just like with the, the Facebook groups, um, which have been such a tremendous resource for so many of us, um, have been really like, so it's, it's like, it's such, it's been such a powerful and amazing experience to connect with so many people. Like the world has gotten very small, but also very large. And yeah, this time. I agree. Yeah, I, I have been very impressed with yeah. that connection and how they just sprung up rather naturally. Yeah. Um, people just came together like, okay, we're all doing this. How yeah. can we do it? Yeah. Um, ha have the, you gotten a lot of projects submitted? I know you had a call for projects. We're, we're, we're getting there. I think we've got 30 or so right now and we continue to get more in. We, we can always use more. But one of the things about doing our site this way is it's, it's easier to search where there's, we'll never be able to probably get the amount like volume and things, variety of, of information as um, the like Facebook groups have, for instance, but it's hard to search those. And so um, doing our website this way, everything's sort of in particular categories. And, and so hopefully the, the good juicy tidbits of things that you might be looking for or might not know you've been looking for, you'll be able yeah, to I think that's, I think that is very true. We do not know what we are looking right. for. Um, there, there is so much content out there. And, and that's why I was impressed. You know, your name kept popping up in every discussion. You know, try this artist. <laughs> look at this artist. Look at this resource. And, you know, there was just so much content that it was just impossible to really absorb it all while yeah. trying to teach your classes and while trying to help students and while trying to be empathetic and kind and understanding. Um, so I was impressed that you were trying to pull this website together to some what filter some of that down to a manageable yeah. um, amount. Where do you see this all going? How do you see this changing what we do? I think that's really the critical question. You know, we, we do things a certain way, but this, I see this whole thing and I'm, I'm being very positive, maybe overly optimistic, as a real opportunity for us to shift our perspective and shift what we're doing and really reinvent how we teach. So we could look at it as a negative, like, oh my God, I'm teaching online and I can't do this. Or as I told my own faculty, you know, we can reinvent what we do. So what do you, do you have any thoughts on that or how you see that happening or if you see it happening or if we should even make it happen? I guess, you know, there's many different takes to this. 
Well, you probably know what I'm going to say. <laughs> no, I don't. So I want to know. I think, I think um, as, as dismal as it can feel sometimes, um, you know, the, the things about this, I, I'm trying to stay positive about it. And, and if I shift my focus to, from like, oh my gosh, what in the world am I going to do to, okay, what's next? What, what, are, what are we going to do? And start talking to people um, and figuring it out. Like, that's, that's good. And so I just keep thinking about it as an adventure. Like, I don't know where I'm going to end up necessarily, but I'm, this is going to be an adventure. And I, I speak to, I talk with students about it using that language too. Um, and what's their response? I think they probably roll their eyes at me, but they also end up finding out that there is not one right answer to things. So, and they very rarely will get a straight, like, this is how you do it answer. I'll give them three different options or, you know, and then they have to try something or we talk more about like, what's the best option for what you actually want to do right now um so so i'm feel like i'm an explorer and this is a big adventure and i'm gonna try some stuff and the students are gonna try some stuff and we're gonna screw up a bunch but it'll be okay because we'll learn some things and uh hopefully have some some playful fun times in there too especially that would be helpful. I think that's a really good point because artists, and, I, and I, I even said this to my students at the beginning, you know, when students said to me, I don't have ink. And I said, okay, try coffee. You right. know, I think that artists have always been resourceful. I mean, if we look at the history of art, artists made art with whatever they had. And I think that this is really our opportunity to, to bring our creativity and our resourcefulness to teaching. Yeah. You know, and I like the way you said, you know, we'll discover this together with your students. You know, we will screw up. And I know I, know, I didn't edit a single video I did for my students because if I dropped something in class, I couldn't say, oops, let's redo this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just dropped it and I wanted to be real. And I think that that's actually good for our students to see and resilience. At the end of the semester, I said to them, you are all resilient. And I think that's what we as faculty members need to think about as well. Yeah. And I, I like your, your take on that, you know, we're going to screw up, but that's okay. Cause you learn from it. And, and the other thing too, is, is that, you know, it's not that just the students, like you're saying that are learning stuff. It's, it's us as the professors too. And, and, you know, i this summer I did a online teaching course and I learned, you know, more about like best practices and online pedagogy that'll all help my teaching. And so I think, you know, to your question about like, what does this all look like in the end, like even after we're through this pandemic, I think, you know, I'll be able to have a more robust online course mm -hmm. or courses you know, the, the content and the way that I approach things and how things are organized there 
hopefully will be will be uh, a a lot um, more useful for for me and the students and um, and the other thing about all of this too is is you know really keeping in touch with other people and finding ways to support each other too um, like I've been I've been talking with a small group of of sculptors and we're all like how how do we do this and and we keep saying okay well maybe we can collaborate on some projects virtually or like take turns with each other's classes you know to to do a project like a a little workshop or a project prompt like the art assignment or something you know um so that it takes a little bit of the weight off of us ourselves because it's fun to visit other people's classes and to talk with other professors and other students too so and I certainly think, with zoom we could do yeah. it much easier than right. we ever could do it yeah there's no there's no flying or driving someplace and having to you know it's it's cheaper and um you can go all over the place with mm. zoom <laughs> so i i'm looking forward to that too because i i feel like i've talked to more people in the last you know four or five months than i have in, in all different places than i have maybe ever I agree. I agree with that. So as we finish up, this has been a pleasure talking with you. Um, if there's one last sentence to sum up, <laughs> I know that's a lot of pressure in a, it's a lot of pressure in, a, in an interview, but if there's some, you know, sort of parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with CAA and your colleagues, um, please do. But it really has been a pleasure talking with you. So is there anything you'd like to just and I love the part you said about communication and talking to people and sharing. And yeah. that may be the sentence. That might be the end to all of this is, you know, right. we need to share. Can I do it in one sentence? I think, what do I want to say? I think, um, you know, have, have empathy for yourself and for others. And also let your, let just, what do I want, how do I want to say it? I'm thinking about like play and, and tinkering and the, the whole adventure of it and um, really reaching out to people and not being worried or I don't know, like try to be less worried or scared to to talk to other people and get the support that you need i mean and if it's not there for instance then figure out how to make it happen be the change that you want to see in the world that's an excellent way to end this interview so <laughs> naomi falk thank you very much for joining caa conversations i'm susan altman um and we thank you very much. And um, this was a terrific conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Susan.